You're listening to Resurrection Life Podcast with your hosts, Father Steve Matson and Richard Budd, the podcast of the Church of the Resurrection in Lansing, Michigan. In today's episode, we talk about Pride Month and the Month of the Sacred Heart. We hear a reflection on St. Thomas Aquinas, and we listen to a poem by George Herbert, Discipline, read by Richard Imgrund. Welcome to Resurrection Life Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. This is your host, Richard Budd, and with me, as always, Father Steve. So is it always Richard Budd, or is it sometimes Rich Budd? I don't know. That's the same. It's the same person. Same it's person. the same person, okay. yeah. I just, I just noticed you say Richard, but you are Richard. So. Yeah, I am. Okay. Uh, I think when I was a kid, I didn't like my name very much because I didn't know anybody else besides my dad and my grandfather with the name Richard. So they both also go by Rich or Richard? Rich. So it's one of those names, right? So you got Rick. Oh, yeah. Dick. Richard. Rich, Richie. Richard. Mm-hmm. Never charred. No, I've never heard charred. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like Topher, right? <laughs> Christopher, yeah, Topher. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm Topher. Oh, is that no, where Topher comes from? If you're from? a Topher, yes. If you're a Topher, don't take that as a criticism. Oh, wow. I never, I've heard the name, but I never knew that's where it came from. Yeah, and um, my mother didn't re- wasn't really keen on me being a third. Mm-hmm. So I got a, a middle, a, a different middle name than my grandfather and my father. Okay. So I'm not a third. I'm my, I'm my own original, uh, original recipe here. Um, but I noticed that you do not have a second in your no, household. No, no. I which would be kind of a fourth. Yeah. All right. No, that was actually interesting so because Richard stops here. here. Yeah, exactly. There's no improving on this. <laughs> no, that was something I actually I went to my dad and I was like, um, just so you know, I I'm not thinking about naming my son Richard. And he was fine with it, but I had to, I, I wanted to make sure I checked. I think, with he's, him. I think he's had healing ministry. <laughs> Not here. I can't say anything about that. I'm just guessing he would have. <laughs> oh, but yeah. Um, the funny thing is, is uh, a little while, um, a few years ago, I, had, I was talking with some friends. I said, you know, it seems like some people they you always see their first name and their last name together. And I, I mentioned a few friends, and then. They turned to me and said, "Yeah, you're you're the same way," and I'm like, "Wait, what?" And uh, then I noticed a lot of times people use my first name and my last name together, but when they say Rich Bud, because it's just uh, they're hmm. two short names, so uh, they yeah. often get put together. Well, I, I sometimes if people don't know me well, they call me Matt because they've got oh. they kind of Matt. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I you just answer to it, right? But, yeah, yeah, but sure. I, they don't Steve Matt. They don't. So okay. Uh, so we've now entered into the month of June, and um, so you know what that means. Um, everybody suddenly loves Noah again. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's everywhere. And can I just say on that point that uh, uh, as with everything that corrupts and degrades and transgresses, uh, the rainbow flag, which it was a sign of peace over in Italy. I remember early on in my time in seminary, I went over and I saw the flag, the rainbow flag with pace Mm -hmm. on it. So peace. And indeed, this is what we want. We want no more 
destruction of humanity. We want that promise to Noah to be fulfilled. And uh, yeah, because the in in the Bible, the the rainbow was God's war bow that He hung up. Like he was, right. he was done fighting. That's right. Exactly. War. Exactly right. And it's a promise too. Mm-hmm. It's a covenant and a promise. But uh, you know, since the uh, T and the queering of every norm, uh, the transgender flag. I mean, the the increasing number of flags. It's just so blooming ugly. I would say something worse, but it's just ugly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the movement is actually ugly, not the people, because they're wounded. Mm-hmm. But uh, so that we are uh, in ostensibly Pride Month, Gay Pride Month, and now uh, if uh, North Face and their advertising campaign is is uh, to be believed, it's the summer of Pride. Yeah, right. And uh, no, I I think it's um, it's an interesting change of power relations, which is the Marxist way that people have been talking about it. And this is going to be a little bit political for people who, who want us to talk matters liturgical, but we're, we're going to talk about that. But we're really seeing the effects of uh, the Marxist education and the push toward undermining all of the, the old, the old ways, the old customs, the old habits, the old uh, patterns of mind. Yeah. You know, um, this has been going on for quite some time. I think I start to really see it, or, or I started to really see it um, maybe about four or five years ago, even though it was more of the veil kind of being pulled back on my eyes rather than it being this, it's starting then. But um, the, the, the constant conversations about power, uh, who has the power, who That's is right. the oppressed, who is the oppressor. Um, now, while that is something that we need to be aware of, um, Seeing every relationship through the lens of power dynamics yeah. is a fundamentally Marxist way of a. I mean, that was that was Marx's whole. That's um, right. uh, and it shifted. It shifted. Uh, this so this is the move of critical theory. It moved from uh, capital and labor, which was his move. Uh, Hegel had the. It was at the level of the ideas. Uh, Marx talked about the fact that it was at, at the, the level of the economy, and now it's at the level of culture. Mm-hmm. So, who's powerful in the culture and who's not? And that's where we get all the talk about white privilege, mm-hmm. white cis privilege, etc., and those who are on the peripheries. And this has actually affected the church. I mean, this idea of going to the peripheries. We need to do that, but not in the way that the Marxists say. We need to do it as Jesus said. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? yeah. And he's the frame. Everything else is ideology. But Jesus said whoever would be first among you, uh, he said the Gentiles uh, exercise power over one another. Like to be Christian is to be emptied of power, to be at the service of another. Like if you want to talk about going to the peripheries, we we need to do it as Mother Teresa did, you know, right. where you are sharing in their uh, um, condition to to uh, bring them the love of God rather than equal out some sort of power dynamic. That's right, and uh, you know, I think I think what we're what we're dealing with is uh, I mean, there's so many issues, and I don't pretend to be an expert on matters uh, you know, global, economic, and political, but. Uh, a lot of these companies that have recently uh, flown the flag, as it were, uh, to show their bona fides in support to the 
really a, a religion of LGBTQI plusism uh, is about capital and who's going to invest in them. And they want the the good score from human rights campaign, mm-hmm. and uh, so LA Dodgers. I talked about it this yeah. past weekend. So this is Pentecost weekend. I just talked a little bit about that. Uh, and the reason that we decided to talk about this today was that we're, we're still leading up to the consecration of the Sacred Heart of Jesus on the 18th. And uh, you can uh, plan to join us at 1030 in the church to consecrate yourself and any images that you've got of the Sacred Heart, but they'll be in a packet that we'll be able to get from men of the sacred hearts. So that'll be on the 18th. And on the 16th, which is actually the, the solemnity of the sacred heart of Jesus, that was pride night for the Dodgers. Mm. And so these sisters of perpetual indulgence, do you know much about them? Uh, yes, I, I've heard about them before. Um, they're, I mean, they're essentially a Christian hate group. Uh, and particularly Catholic yeah, hate group. Yeah, um, Anti-Catholic you know, group. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if there's anybody listening, you know, with their children, they might want to pause and come back later. But, you know, having uh, pole dances on the crucifix while while an, a person is, is imitating Christ uh, hanging on the cross, um, nuns that are um, or trans uh, folks that are uh, dressed up as nuns. Well, and, and looking like you in full yeah. beard with, with yeah. this with pasty, the gaudy white, makeup and gaudy makeup. Right. And it, the, the trans movement is ugly at so many levels. And it's this defiance. You're not going to tell me what to be or who I am. I am who I say I am, which is frankly diabolical. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm creating myself. And, and you know, we forbid you to forbid. Mm-hmm. And, and that's yep. actually what happened. So, so they were extended the invitation. There was some pushback from the, the LA community, basically because of their anti-Catholic um, stance. They do raise, this is, the, this is the interesting thing. So they raise money for the needy, yeah. but they do all this other stuff. So no, it's on balance, it's good. Well, we wouldn't say that about any other group. This is the only hate that is acceptable politically. Yeah. Well, they push back. The Dodgers rescinded the invitation, all right? Then, as I mentioned this past Sunday, the real power, I mean, we talk about power relations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the iron law of woke projection, as James Lindsay talks about. The fact, they say we've got power, but they've actually got power. Yeah. So how dare you rescind this? And so they reestablished the invitation mm-hmm. and basically saying, Catholics, we don't care that we're offending you. Uh, we, we need to stay in good odor with this movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, the, I think they got kind of the, the, the shock and, and, and blowback from re-inviting them. So then they came up with this, two weeks later, they'll have a faith and family. Yeah, yeah so they must think we're idiots, <laughs> right? <laughs> like oh, that, that. oh, now it's even. No. Can the you imagine? Is, what, uh, what, if, what if at that event they allowed people to, to stand up and, and read from the catechism about homosexuality? Would they allow that? Mm. It, 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 well, right? I, just, I, I just think... I mean, we, it, wouldn't, we wouldn't want to do it because it would be in your face. But that's exactly what they are. They're in our face. Would they have a night honoring neo-Nazis who raised money for... The soup kitchen. Uh, the soup kitchen. No, not even close. Well, of course, because and, they're evil. And if if they 
And, and, and frankly, neo-Nazis, that's such a fringe. And, and don't hear anything that we've said here in defense. We're just looking at the absurdity yeah. of the values and the I'm just looking at anti-Semitism. Right. No one would tolerate that. And they, they wouldn't be fine with uh, a, a makeup night of honoring Jewish heritage. No nope. one would be fine with that. It would be national news. But we're going to have a hate group against Catholicism, but we're going to make up with, for it with a faith and family night. Yeah, it's very nice. It's very touching. I've got tears in my eyes. Yeah. Just how, how sensitive they are. Now, uh, I don't think it's accidental that Pride Night is the same day as the Fe- most holy, I mean, the most sacred heart of Jesus. Yeah. And uh, and don't don't hear me saying or you, I think, Rich, saying that that we need to gain power so that no one can criticize it. No, but we, we live in a democracy so that we can actually express concerns. We may lose. We may be continuing to be persecuted, but we don't have to cooperate. And, and Bishop Bob Barron said, boycott the, the, the Dodgers. He was out in L.A. as, a, as an auxiliary bishop uh, until he was appointed uh, in Winona, Rochester. And uh, I think he's right yeah. that we can use uh, the the power of the purse in some respects to say no, we're not going to roll over and just say yeah we're Christian we're going to be kind to you even if you hate on us. Mm-hmm. Well, well, we'll be kind to you, but we're not going to support you financially. That's, that's a good not, point. Good you point. know, um, <clears throat> you know, I, having gone through the whole Proposition Three thing last fall and just being completely steamrolled, uh, I had to have a, a moment where I asked myself. Is it worth even fighting if we're going right. to lose like this? Should we just tuck and run? And I, I came to the conclusion that no, our prophetic witness is still needed, even though we have got to we've got to kind of reconcile with the fact that we're going to lose. We, we are in That's a right. culture. It's, it's not an earthly kingdom. No. And I do think that this temptation to power, and if we can just reestablish Christendom, I mean, that's the temptation, mm-hmm. right? Not that we want Christian nationalism, right? People accuse us of that when we just want the, 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 the nation to hold on to values that it's held sacred for more than 200 years. We just years. want holiness. Well, <laughs> well we want, I, I would say, as a, as a political agent, mm-hmm. I want civility. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want respect for diversity, true respect for diversity, the way that things are, are operating in the culture. If you respect diversity, it means you have to say full on LGBTQI plus two spirit, et cetera. And it sounds like I'm mocking because I kind of am because this alphabet mafia, what's next? Pedophilia is in there. Mm-hmm. Right? We're already seeing minor attracted persons. Mm-hmm. This stuff is, and it's been charted by. Wilhelm Reich, uh, Marcuse, Herbert Marcuse, uh, Paulo Freire. Uh, I mean, we, we could go down the list of those who have been pushing toward the overturning of traditional sexual morality and the sexualizing of children. And that brings us to Target. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, I've seen the... Uh, the so they... they I mean, Target for years has kind of been fully embracing. Yeah, they have. I, I stopped going when, mm-hmm. and earlier, probably with, five, with six years ago. the whole bathroom ahead. thing, I, you know, I was uh, recently married, recently had a daughter, and I just couldn't stomach the idea that my wife or my daughter would be in the bathroom with a man. And so I stopped going to Target. Um, but uh, recently, I know that they've uh, they put in like their children's section 
uh, clothing that is accommodating to trans children uh, and, right. and, and uh, binding clothing and well, things and, like this. Well, it's interesting. The, the, the big furor, it seems, this time is that they've, they've contracted with a designer from the U.K., and I can't remember the name, but he is uh, a Satanist. Oh, I didn't know about that. He's a Satanist, and he's got his most wide-selling um, meme is Satan loves pronouns or something like that. And, oh, jeez. Is that what the clothing says? No, not oh, in okay. the store, but, but it's, he's the designer that okay. they contracted. So with. I've been seeing people online accusing of being Satanist clothing. I thought it was just kind of, you know, um, people getting a little bit riled up. No, um, but no, this... Uh, there's an actual Satanist behind yes. this. Yes, and uh, let me get this name. I'll pull it up here. Yeah, so it's just, it's, uh, it's trying to bring children into this. It, it, we cannot... Um, respect the innocence of children you know they've they've got to be brought into this they've got to be uh, uh, the whole movement needs it's very focused on children which I find um, well this is this I mean this is the the drag queen story hour mm -hmm. these absurd men in this absurd makeup and fabulous hair dancing gyrating sexualizing children and there's not a child who would not be fascinated by the gyration it's impossible for children to say that's boring they're interested what's going on here mm -hmm. they think that the world is structured and can be known and i i i, I just well you know i mean we re, we we had disney plus for a while and there's a lot of good stuff on there uh, a lot of family-friendly programming, yep, yep, but yep. there's there was just so much that we were constantly having to monitor because there were so so many things that were trying to target our kids, and I was just like, "What am I doing?" Like, it's like a ticking time bomb no, in my right. home. So, so, so people we'll want to get rid take, of it. Yeah, if, if people want to take a look at it, it's Ab Pralin, A B P R A L L E N. That's the designer, and you can you can learn about his things. And I, I don't say that to to, but but what we got is Target wanting to push the the edge or the envelope, uh, and proving their bona fides to uh, you know the human rights campaign and the ESG score. So so. What we've got is we have some people, and I think it's Satan behind it ultimately, not, not directly pulling the strings, but this sense of wanting to undermine the, the foundations of the culture, namely the family. Mm -hmm. The family is the foundation block of society, and the evil one wants to destroy it. And many of these individuals want to change our views. We need to fix our transphobia rather than to help mm -hmm. transgender men and women, boys and girls, actually identify with their true common sex. And I think really at the end of the day, you can boycott the Dodgers, you can boycott Dod um, Target, you can boycott North Face. Don't forget Bud Light. Or Bud Light. <laughs> I, I was boycotting Bud Light a lot. Well, exactly. exactly. <laughs> that's, a, that's an easy one. And, yeah. Anyways. Um, but at the end of the day, though, the... The real way to respond to this whole movement is to have healthy families because this is a movement that at its core is anti-family. It's anti-person. Um, 
you know, somebody asked me uh, a little while ago, why do you think we've gone down this road? And I, I feel like it, I don't mean to like put one thing as the cause of everything, but the minute we accept contraception in, in the marriage, you've now, you've now begun to see sexuality as not inherently involving the child. Right. So then why does sexuality have to be limited to marriage and the family between a husband and a wife? Now anybody is, is, is included in sexual expression. Yeah. And, and then once, mm-hmm. once uh, two men or two women can be married, then you've stopped defining masculinity in relation to femininity. And you've stopped defining femininity in relation to masculinity. And once that happens, well, then anybody can be a woman. Anybody can be a man. And so the, this began with a seed uh, dividing uh, husband and wife, and it is corrupted now to the, to the person uh, is disassociated even within themselves. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, so for us, we need to hold on to the truth. But I, what I want to encourage us to do also is not to remain mute, mm-hmm. to actually not to pick fights, but to speak and to risk uh, social uh, ostracism. And, and not to not again not to pick fights, but to say, you know what? I don't think that's right. I think there's a there's a silent majority that rejects this, and that's what we're seeing with with the Bud Light controversy. Mm-hmm. You know, no, I'm not going to buy Bud Light when you use a man who says he's a woman to be a, a social influencer mm-hmm. to try to change the brand. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not. I mean, I never drank Bud Light anyway. So I was, I would, and, and if you are a Bud Light drinker, don't hear me criticizing you, although I think Rich was. <laughs> Healing prayers available at the exactly. parish. <laughs> but but I, what, I, what I do think we need to do is speak up and just say to live not by lies. That, mm-hmm. that, so it's not that Rod Dreher is set in the path, but I do think the Benedict Option, creating a context within which we can, and I think we're doing that to the extent that we can here at Resurrection and Resurrection School, to create a context within which uh, the real can be reinforced. Mm-hmm. The yeah. openness to life mm-hmm. and the complementarity of men and women, not that there aren't gifts across those um, sexes. They, they are, of course, but there is a distinctive call and gift of masculinity, of man, being men and women. And for us not to say it doesn't matter and I can be whatever I want. Uh, so we want to do that. And then the other one, live not by lies. We're in a time right now where... Uh, we can do, I think it's called Ketman, where you would publicly go along but privately disagree. Mm-hmm. I think we need to be willing to risk the opprobrium and speak as Bishop Barron has and say, time for, I mean, we can do a boycott. It's more important, I think, for us to actually be witnesses with our words, uh, both in terms of what the truth is, but also to say, no, I don't believe that. And mm-hmm. do it lovingly and kindly, as mm-hmm. you said. Yeah, I think it's providential that the Feast of St. Thomas More is in June. Absolutely. Because Thomas More, he tried to, to, to work within the system, tried right. to, to, to um, be a prophet, you know, not, you know, uh, to, to live his, his, uh, his uh, life and his family's life the way God wanted. 
But when when it came push came to shove, he didn't back down. He was courageous. Uh, you know, you you watch like that um, the movie or read the book A Man for All Seasons. Absolutely. I mean, on trial, he didn't cower. He didn't vacillate. He said, "I'm the king's good servant, but I'm God's first. Well, and, and let's let's just go John the Baptist, mm-hmm. right? As well. So he must increase, I must decrease. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the culture calls this Pride Month, as I said on Pentecost. We really see it as both the month of the Sacred Heart, but also Humility Month, mm-hmm. right? That sense of the humble God who became man." Yeah, and I think humility is really important when when you have to go out and meet the world, because it can just become, you know, um, uh, Jeremiah kind of like just, that's right, that's right, kind of condemning the world. Jesus said, "I did not come to condemn the world, but to save it." We need to be Christ-like, um, so we need to be courageous, but we need to be humble. That's right. It, it's <clears throat> it's a it's a dance. I think what we are prone to do in our private lives is to not raise our head above the parapet. Mm-hmm. So to, oh, yeah. to, so to cower instead of being courageous. Sure. Uh, some of us uh, might be prone to be more aggressive and perhaps uh, not fully humble and loving. Uh, and I think the Lord understands our exasperation at what's happening. Mm-hmm. Carl Truman in his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, for those who want to read about this, and he has another book that, that um, I'll try to get the, the title of that's more popular. That one's rather scholarly looking at the writings of Philip Reef. But in any case, I do think you're right that for us to see humility as the answer, but humility requires us to speak the truth. Mm-hmm. Not just sure. hold the truth. Yeah, you look at the early church, um, you know, figures like Ambrose and um, St. Lawrence and, and these men that spoke boldly to the emperor uh, about um, the evil that he was uh, promoting, but that at the same time cared for the lost, cared for the poor, Absolutely. cared for, you know, so we've got to. Because if all that we kind of see our our vision as is we're just going to condemn the evil, well, then we lose a chance to save. Well, the and, souls. and that's, I think that's why we started. Um, and this is a reminder to some of us, but yeah. And I just one more thing. I, I found the more popular version of Carl Truman's argument that he he did in uh, the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. He he did it uh, encouraged by Ryan Anderson, who wrote the foreword. It's called Strange New World, How Thinkers and Activists Redefined Identity and Sparked the Sexual Revolution. And it really is, I think, a, a, a brilliant, he's a, he's a faithful Orthodox Presbyterian. That's actually a denomination, Orthodox Presbyterian. And he's one commentator who's Christian. And, and I've, I've said before, I'm grateful that there are other people who are not among the Christian fold who are pushing back against mm-hmm. this aggressive move on the part of, of wokeness and LGBTQ, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but I, I think your invitation to us, to me and to us who are listening, uh, to draw close to the most sacred heart of Jesus and 
entrust ourselves to learn from him. and to learn from him and the Immaculate Heart of Mary, yeah. who had a heart of love. Jesus was willing to speak hard truths, but it was always animated by yeah, love. Yeah, you look at Christ. He told the sinners not to sin no more. He challenged the he told culture them to, to sin no more. Then what did I say? Not to, not to, not to. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so he, uh, yeah, he t- he told people to sin no more, um, but he he welcomed the sinner. He challenged the cultural elites of the time. Um, but you know, if we're going to have any credibility in our message, it has to be backed up with actions of love. That's right. You know, and so um, you know, raising good families that are open to life, generous with life, um, not rejecting those that are lost, but reaching out in love. But then also, when it, when you're called to stand in truth. Um, because love without truth is not love at all. That's right. And truth without love is 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 not truth at all. Um, and so we need to have both. And we we need to be able to find this balance between both, um, because that's that's what Christ did. And, and just one final note: uh, I think what can happen within our families when we've got those who may be transgender, may consider themselves transgender, or are deal with same sex attraction or various issues, is we we react with sentiment mm-hmm. more than truth. And, and um, Pope Benedict XVI, uh, when he was um, uh, with the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, he talked about nothing that is not true is pastoral. So mm-hmm. we've got we've to be focused on the truth and not be afraid to have feelings be hurt. Mm-hmm. Now, the point is not to hurt feelings, but the truth actually sets us free. Mm-hmm. So for us, uh, as we are Catholic Christians in this sacred heart of this month of the sacred heart, let's pray more and love well mm-hmm. and uh, ask the Lord and the Holy Spirit whom we received in Pentecost and in our confirmation uh, to guide us. Yeah, so the, the fruits of the Spirit are present in our life. All right, well... <clears throat> We blew through that half an hour. <laughs> we did. Thank you for sticking with us if you did. Uh, for another week, this is Rich. And Father Steve. God bless. St. Thomas Aquinas has had a huge influence on the doctrines and theology of the Catholic Church. Yet he was also a truly holy man. In the following reflection from Sean O'Neill, We reflect on his life and how we can follow his example of holiness in our own times. St. Thomas Aquinas There are many saints who influenced the direction of the church over the centuries, but few of them had the far-reaching authority of St. Thomas Aquinas. St. Thomas was not just a brilliant philosopher and theologian, but also a deeply humble and holy man who led a life of sanctity in an age that was ravaged by heresies and steeped in worldly values, much like our own, in fact. St. Thomas was born in Lazio, Italy, in the year 1225. He was born into a noble family and his father was a knight in the service of King Roger II. Thomas's family intended him to have a career in the church, as was traditional in those days for younger sons from prominent families, and had him marked down to become the abbot of some Benedictine monastery when he was old enough. He studied at the university in Naples 
and it was during his years there that he came under the influence of John of St. Julian, a Dominican preacher in Naples. And at the age of 19, Thomas decided to join the recently founded Dominican Order. His family was furious and his mother had him kidnapped while he was on his way to Rome and took him back home to the castle. He was held prisoner for almost one year in various family castles in an attempt to prevent him from assuming the Dominican habit and to push him into renouncing his new aspiration. Family members became desperate to dissuade Thomas, who remained determined to join the Dominicans. At one point, two of his brothers, bizarrely, resorted to hiring a prostitute to seduce him. According to legend, Thomas drove her away wielding a fire iron, and two angels appeared to him as he slept and strengthened his determination to remain celibate. Eventually, seeing as Thomas remained adamant in his conviction, his mother, Theodora, arranged for Thomas to escape at night through his window. Thomas was sent by the Dominicans first to Naples and then to Rome. In 1245, Thomas was sent to study in Paris, where he met the Dominican scholar Albert the Great. When Albert was sent by his superiors to teach at the new university at Cologne in 1248, Thomas followed him. Because Thomas was quiet and didn't speak much, some of his fellow students thought he was slow on the uptake and nicknamed him the Dumb Ox. But Albert prophetically exclaimed, You call him the Dumb Ox, but in his teaching he will one day produce such a bellowing that it will be heard throughout the world. During his time teaching in Cologne and Paris, Thomas wrote numerous works of theology, both commentaries and denunciations of various heresies. In February 1265, the newly elected Pope Clement IV summoned Thomas to Rome to serve as papal theologian. In the years that followed, Thomas wrote, among other things, his famous Summa Theologiae, which covers a huge range of theological issues. Eventually, Thomas was called back to Paris in 1268 for a second teaching stint. Disputes with some important Franciscans conspired to make this second teaching period much more difficult and troubled than the first. In 1272, Thomas took leave from the University of Paris and set up a centre of teaching at Naples. It's traditionally held that on one occasion in 1273, at the Dominican convent in Naples in the chapel of St Nicholas after Matins, Thomas lingered and was seen by the sacristan Dominic of Caserta to be levitating in prayer with tears before an icon of the crucified Christ. Christ said to Thomas, You have written well of me, Thomas. What reward would you have for your labour? Thomas responded, Nothing but you, Lord. On December 6th, 1273, another mystical experience took place. While he was celebrating Mass, he experienced an unusually long ecstasy. Because of what he saw, he abandoned his routine and refused to dictate to his scribe. When the scribe begged him to get back to work, Thomas replied, I cannot, 
because all that I have written seems like straw to me. As a result, the Summa Theologiae remained uncompleted. What exactly triggered Thomas's change in behaviour is believed to have been some kind of supernatural revelation he received during that ecstasy. Some time later, Thomas was riding on a donkey along the Appian Way when he struck his head on the branch of a fallen tree and became seriously ill. He was then quickly escorted to a Dominican house to convalesce. After resting for a while, he set out on his journey a second time but had to stop at an abbey because he fell ill again. The monks nursed him for several days and as he received the last rites, he prayed, I have written and taught much about this very holy body and about other sacraments in the faith of Christ and about the Holy Roman Church to whose correction I expose and submit everything I have written. He died on March the 7th, 1274, while giving a commentary on the Song of Songs. It's true that St Thomas had amazing insight, was extremely intelligent and wrote deeply perceptive works of theology. But what about sanctity? Was he also holy and how can we take him as an example for our own lives? When his cause for canonization was going forward in the 14th century, the devil's advocate, whose job was to raise obstacles to the canonization, objected that there were no miracles that Thomas had worked. The answer from the Pope was, there are as many miracles as there are articles that he has written. St Thomas was a defender of truth and gently but firmly opposed doctrines and streams of thought that went against the truth as revealed in Scripture, the tradition of the Church and reason. In the times we live in, his courage in speaking out against falsehoods should encourage us not to simply lie down in the face of the onslaught against our faith. Nowadays there is a concerted attack by our enemy the devil against the sanctity of marriage, the nature of sexuality and the good news of the gospel. Thomas, who was miraculously given the gift of perpetual chastity, is our model. Are we, like him, prepared to stand up for what is right, despite ridicule and potential persecution, because of our beliefs? St Thomas was also a man who prayed regularly. Prayer is not just for those in religious life, nor is it simply a dry and fruitless duty. As the life of St Thomas shows, Prayer is about an intimate, loving relationship with the person who loves us the most. Jesus gave his life for us. That's how much he loves us. Don't we all long for the fulfilment that comes from knowing ourselves to be loved by God? Then let's recommit ourselves to a regular daily prayer. There is nothing that says that the deep union with Jesus that Thomas experienced is outside of our grasp. Indeed, it's the whole reason we were created in the first place. As the old catechism says, we were made to know, love and serve God in this life and be happy with him forever in the next. St Thomas was also determined above all to do the will of God. He was prepared to be imprisoned for his conviction that the only thing that matters is knowing and doing God's will. 
Do we know what God's will is for us? Do we care to find out? When we do find out where God is leading us, do we have the courage to follow that path despite difficulties and constraints? In the conflict between the lures of the world, the flesh and the devil, and the calling from God, who will win? It's true that St Thomas Aquinas was a brilliant thinker, but he himself said that he had learned more from prayer than from study. He is an encouragement to us to be steadfast in the truth, constant in prayer, and determined to do the will of God no matter what it costs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, through the intercession of St Thomas, give us the grace to make you first in our lives, to persevere in prayer, to stand up for the truth, and to seek and do your will in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We finish this episode with a poem written by George Herbert, Discipline, read by Richard Emgrund. George Herbert was born in 1593 and was an orator and priest of the Church of England. His poetry is associated with the writings of the metaphysical poets, and he is recognized as one of the foremost British devotional lyricists. He was born into an artistic and wealthy family and received a good education. After being at Cambridge University, he gave up his secular ambitions in his mid-30s and took holy orders in the Church of England. He spent the rest of his life as the rector of the little parish of St. Andrew's Church in Salisbury, England. He was noted for faithfully caring for his parishioners, bringing the sacraments to them when they were sick, and providing food and clothing for those in need. He was never a healthy man and died of consumption in 1633, a month before his 40th birthday. Herbert wrote poetry in English, Latin, and Greek. Shortly after his death, all of his English poems were published in a book called The Temple. Herbert said of this collection of poems, The reader shall find in it a picture of the many spiritual conflicts that have passed between God and my soul before I could subject mine to the will of Jesus, my master. All of Herbert's surviving English poems are on religious themes and are characterized by directness of expression enlivened by an original use of metaphor. It has also been pointed out how Herbert uses puns and wordplay to convey the relationships between the world of daily reality and the world of transcendent reality that gives it meaning. In this poem, entitled Discipline, the poet asks God not to be harsh with him in his frailty and weakness. Instead, he asks for love to flow down upon him, even though he knows that he needs to be purified because of his sin. Discipline by George Herbert Throw away thy rod, throw away thy wrath O my God, take the gentle path For my heart's desire unto thine is bent I aspire to a full consent Not a word or look I affect to own But by book, and thy book alone Though I fail, I weep Though I halt in pace Yet I creep to the throne of grace Then let wrath remove, love will do the deed, for with love stony hearts will bleed. Love is swift of foot, love's a man of war, and can shoot and can hit from far. Who can scape his bow? 
That which wrought on thee, brought thee low, needs must work on me. Throw away thy rod, though man frailties hath, thou art God. Throw away thy wrath. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. Please tune in next time for more conversation, reflections, and Catholic culture. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to drop us a line to give us feedback or suggest future topics to feature, write us at podcast at corelansing.org. You can find the Church of the Resurrection online at corelansing.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.